it's Lulu. Thank you so much for clicking on episode 8 of Tea and Terror. Enjoy the podcast. Wait, holy shit, it's episode 8. That's like two months. That is two months. What? Are we famous yet? Uh, we're gonna make a time capsule of that. Oh my god, I forgot to turn off my fan. <laughs> <laughs> Go turn off your fan. <laughs> Keep ducky. Hey, queen. She's back. Hey. Alright, so how's everyone's day? We recorded yesterday, so... Uh, I'm Sora shit. I logged so many minutes on my punching bag yesterday, and I'm feeling it today. I'm proud of you. I had so much <laughs> anger in me yesterday. You know what, that's, that's fair. I hope it was therapeutic. It was very therapeutic. I am feeling it today, and I'm like, ah! And then I went to Walmart, and Walmart, everyone and their mother and grandmothers were there today. Gross. People. Disgusting. Right? Like... We waited 10 minutes for the carts to be brought in. I said, fuck it. I went outside to find my own cart. I bring the cart in and I go grab the, like, disinfectant wipes. And an old lady with a cane took my cart like she was about to go. And I was like, she has a cane. I can't take this away from her. You're right. You can't. However, (laughs) if you did, theoretically. (laughs) It was something. But she was like a four foot tall old lady. And I, with a cane, I was like, I can't. And I was like, wait, wait, yeah, you can take my thing. Just let me wipe this down for you so you don't get anything. And so I did, and she took it. And then I had to go back outside into the hot-ass sun. It's so weird to me that you're like, because it's hot out. And I'm just like, nah, it's finally nice. And it's like finally in like the 40s consistently. I would simply, I can't live out of Florida. Maybe I can live in California. If you go specifically here, it's like... 70, 70 to 75 every day. Unless it's like winter and then it gets in the 60s. 60s is not winter. That doesn't count. <laughs> that is 100% winter. Ma'am, I've been walking to class in the 20s. Don't come for me. Oh, no, no, no. Beach is 80s to 90s. You say beach is 80s to 90s? Yeah. What kind of sunburn? Yeah, cutie, you do think I won't fry. <laughs> okay, that's... I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I like how we're like three ends of the spectrum yeah give me winter or give me death actually fall specifically fall <laughs> not winter i'm looking at both your temperatures right now on my weather app oh what is my temperature right now are you back at school yeah i'm back at school 52 yeah it's pretty nice out i will probably wear like a light jacket <laughs> when i go on my taco bell run later <laughs> it's like 60 something right now for me right yeah 63 yeah i'm cold bitch <laughs> what I found my thick-ass lion blanket that all Hispanics have. I fucking love the tiger blankets so much. I found it. And so I'm vibing with it. It's just, it's a vibe. (laughs) (sighs) Listen, blame my mother who dragged me to Honduras every summer without fail. And Honduras would be... 90 to 100. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. We sometimes reach 100 in Michigan, and I just simply just don't go outside. I've taken naps on like my hardwood kitchen floor in just like shorts and a sports bra during that weather because no. Where I used to live, it would get to like 110 in the summer, and like I, I'm actually a ghost right now because I died from it. I believe it. <laughs> Our paranormal segment is actually just the fact that Mariah's here. Yeah. Yep. It's how we keep it authentic. Yeah. So that's my tea. And then I have the vanilla bean for my actual tea. I have so much tea. Give us the tea. Uh, well, oh my gosh, I have so much. I made a checklist just to make sure I didn't miss anything. 
So I'm gonna grab and pull that up really quick. Uh, first of all, I'm drinking some peppermint tea. I believe it's the tea that um, my girl Dana got me. Ooh. She's the best. How is yeah, she doing? I love her. She's good. Um, she sends me really fun texts sometimes, like, my fire alarms are sensitive and things like that. You know, really cute Dude, texts. Those are super cute texts. Yeah, okay. So, starting at the top of my li list, Dan still hasn't fixed the printer. I fucking had a feeling. Because Sundays are my shipping out days. So, mm -hmm. Dan still hasn't fixed that for me. It's three weeks. Dan's useless. Whatever. Everyone at work is super sad that I'm going away next weekend. Because they were all just like, I'll see you next weekend. I'm like, I actually won't be here. And they were like, you're leaving me? And I was like, guys, I'll cry. <laughs> I'll cry right now. Aww. And so I have to promise to text them. That's so cute. I love them. Okay, so now we get into the actual like tea things. That I have more to say than just my bullet points. My car's making bad noises again. No, no, no. Oh. Like grinding noises when I brake. We think it's just the brake pads. But now it's doing it when I accelerate too, so I'm not convinced anymore. So if anyone listening knows anything about cars, please help me fix it. Please help me make it stop. Please. Email us at teaandterrapc at gmail.com. Yeah. Honestly, I just want my car to be happy. I need to get places. And it's just like, it kind of scares me. I'll be like, stop. You know, they're like, oh gosh, this is the time. This is when my brakes are going to give out. I just know it. They haven't yet. But like, I just, I feel it in my soul. I'm just like, oh. I'm stressed, so that's fun. So then the next two things are from my drive home. Not related to my car making weird noises, but so like on my way home, I passed two like really big Amish communities. Home? And I know that sounds really mm -hmm. out of the blue, but I love them, <laughs> okay? I absolutely love them. I love seeing them out on the roads with their little carts and their horses. It's one of my favorite things, especially like <laughs> in the summer because they have like their carts open and the kids just wave at you mm. and it's my favorite thing and i love it so much and i got to see a whole bunch of them today and it was just so good and um i was at a stop sign and they were turning onto the road that i was on and so i like made eye contact with like one of them it was just it was this dude i think he was wearing like a green shirt or something i'm not really sure but he waved at me and i waved back and it was the most wholesome experience i've ever had in my entire life and it just made my entire mm, that's day that's amazing so in conclusion i love the amish and they'll never know because i'm confessing because i'm confessing my love for them on a podcast which they'll never listen they'll to they'll never yeah <laughs> what if you write it on a letter? A letter to the honest. Hi, my name is Sydney. I am a part of this podcast, and I just wanted to let you know that I confessed my love for your entire community on it. That is all. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Maybe one of them will hear it when they go on Ron Springer, I think it's called. And then they'll tell their people when they go back. Oh, maybe. I love that. I just love them. Favorite, favorite thing. But then, okay, so after all of that, I was like... I still had like 30 minutes left of my drive. And it was just, oh, I love them. But so then when I finally got back to town, I was at this stoplight and my music was still really loud. And so I assumed I was annoying everyone around me, but I didn't care because it was a good song. And so like I looked over and I accidentally made eye contact with the guy who was in the car next to me. And he like said something to me, but mm -hmm. obviously I couldn't hear it because my music was too loud. And so, so. I roll up next to this car and I look over and he's like mouthing something to me, but he's actually saying it, but I can't hear it. And I'm like, what? And so he like motions for me to roll down my window and me being a dumb bitch, I do. 
Oh, no, no. I turned down my volume. And he go, he like points to the car in front of him and he guess go, just goes, she's mean. And I'm like, what? I'm sorry? And then he just like pauses for a second, nods, and, like looks back at them and looks back at me and just goes, should I hit her? What? So he asked me if he should hit her car. And so I pause for a second and I just go, probably not. And he just nods and goes, all right, good talk. And I roll my window back up and continue on my way. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, so I don't know what that was, but it's a thing that I experienced today, and it's a thing I never want to experience again. That is, yeah. That's my tea. Mariah, your turn. Oh, okay. (laughs) How do I possibly follow that one up? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, let me see, what did I do today? Today I worked on a Spanish project with my Spanish partner, and she is great and lovely, amazing. I should have told her about this podcast, but I didn't. <laughs> There's still time. There is still time. I do have her number. Does she like the spooky things? I really gotta find out. She was texting me like, hey, do you like true crime? Do it. <laughs> That's how I've been opening conversations lately. She's like, how do you feel about true crime? Weeds out the people you don't want to be friends with. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I have been starting conversations with that. Mm, that might be a good method. What? <laughs> I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not wrong. Um... And then I did homework all day, had a mental breakdown, but we're good now. Uh, oh, that's gonna be me later. <laughs> Reminds me of my days when I scheduled my mental breakdown for Mondays. I'll bet I'll be there for you, homie. <laughs> we're scheduling a mental breakdown? Is that what's happening? Can I join? I used to I used to schedule them while I was still in school, but I'm starting. I still schedule them. What are you talking about? I mean, I haven't been in school for like a year, but now that I'm starting in May, they're going to be scheduled again. Oh, that's fair. So do you just like, oh, have free range breakdowns? Oh, now that I didn't have school, I just did it whenever I felt like it. How did that feel? It's free, but it's also stressful because when it's free reign, it's like, can anybody hear me right now? Because when I scheduled it at that time, no one was around to hear me. (laughs) Oh, I didn't care if people were around to hear me. Usually I cried in my shower. God damn. That won't be the case tonight. Tonight I will be openly crying over my notes and people will know about it tomorrow because if they look at my paper, it will be um, damp with tears. That's it's cool though. <laughs> what tea are you drinking? Oh, oh wait, before I get into my uh, physical tea, also um, I did speak with Maria before this podcast and she wanted me to say hi and that she loves you guys again. Hi, I love you. You're an angel and I would die for you. <gasps> I love her and that you guys <laughs> and that you guys are allowed to see this ring she got Ooh, wait. <gasps> oh that's so cute though this is staying in so she can hear our reactions the internet's gonna be like what ring was it right <laughs> she received it from her boyfriend oh is it a ring or it's is it a ring, ring. Oh, I, I said that too i was like is it did you just get engaged no she's like no I was like, <gasps> no, that's not an engagement mm. ring. That looks like a promise ring. Oh, damn, yeah. you hear that, Maria? You just got promised. I low key gave Mikey one the other day, but I don't think he realizes what it was. <laughs> he, he would, he said he was like, um, I was supposed to put a ring on it first or something. Oh, yeah, when I gave him the ring because I 3D printed Aww. the rings at my job. I printed one for me, and then I was like, this fits me a little bit. I wonder if it fits him better. It fit him better, so I printed myself another one. And now you have matching rings. Cute. I'll cry. I'll cry and lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, 
when I gave him the ring, he's like, damn. And I'm like, what? You don't like it? And he's like, no, now it's, you're the first one who gave the other one the ring. It doesn't have to be seen that way. And I'm like, no, but I look at him. And I'm like, yes, I was the first one. I was also the first one who shot my shot. (laughs) Oh, so true facts. And then he just smiled. I love that. How is Noodle Boy? Noodle Boy is good. He is learning Photoshop. Ooh. Does he know that we call him Noodle Boy? Yes, he does. How does he feel about that? He just smiles. Okay, good. Say, if he didn't like it, I'd stop. No, I wouldn't, but I would consider it. I would say it more privately. Yeah, like just to Lulu, probably. Uh, when we yeah. played, what is it? When we played Among Us. He's titled himself uh, Noodle Boy. <laughs> oh, good. Well, then I don't feel bad about it. He wears that name with pride. Good. Um, tonight I am drinking a, I don't know if it's called Bi or Bay, probably Bi, Bi Antioxidant <gasps> oh! Infusion. Which one? The Zambia Bean Cherry. Ooh, you should try the Malawi Mango one. But this is amazing because it just tastes like some nice cherry juice and also has some tea extracts in it, so I'm drinking tea. Heck yeah. Uh, and that concludes my tea. Is that all we, is that all we have before we jump into this? I think so. Hell yeah. We've all said our T's. We've all crossed our T's, dotted our I's, cried on the inside. In the outside. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in that case, let me tell you guys about the person who Ghostface is based off of. Oh, hell yeah. <gasps> Are you starting the Dead by Daylight Shut. series? Is that what this is? Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a joke. Listen, I just... I want them to sponsor us. Hi, Dead by Daylight. Please give me blood points. Please. I'll stream for you. Please give me Trickster for free. <laughs> well, I want to play Please. against Trickster. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, his character, like, laughs while he's running around the map, too. And I'm actually excited to play against him. Oh, wait. Is that the, the, the that new one? Uh-huh. That we were all simping over? Yeah. We're still simping over? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then I found out, I heard his chase music, and if you listen to it, there's screaming in his chase music. Hell yeah. And it's because, in the lore, this character created his own chase music. I got, oh my gosh. I love it. Why does that make him hotter? And then the way he did it was he was in, he recorded the screams of executives who didn't like his music as he gutted and tortured them. Why does that make him hotter? (laughs) Choke me like you hate me, but you love me. <laughs> Mariah, I'm gonna amplify that right now. <laughs> oh, I'm just waiting for the day I can play against him. Please. Please put me against that man's. But yeah. Unfortunately, this case isn't related to him. Next time? Maybe. I'll, I'll dig. I'll dig. Should for I him. be. Should this I be staring is, okay. at pictures huh? of um, Ski Ulrich while you tell the story? Yeah, do we have a PowerPoint presentation to go with this? Lulu, why do you look concerned? Oh! I was trying to figure out who the fuck Steve Ulrich was. Steve Ulrich. With the corn syrup. In the Scream movie. Sorry. (laughs) I've refused to watch the Scream movies, y'all, because the main character's name is Sydney. And so it freaks me out, so I won't watch them. That's right! If it helps, it's spelled differently. Is it? They spelled her name with an I? They did that disrespect to her? The C-I-N-D-Y. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's still disrespectful to her. That's not the proper spelling of our name. I could go on a tangent about that. 
Oh, yes, I know. Mariah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to just hold that up for her whole story, actually. I'll bet. <laughs> It'll help in the cases of anything scary. Oh, I could look at that for a while. Because yeah, this one... <laughs> right? Who gave Literally. him the right? God. God said make him attractive. Facts. And he was. Yeah, so Ghostface is based off of this Florida case. Oh, damn. The Gainesville Ripper. Okay, Florida. And then I think this is my first, like, true crime Florida case I'm covering, so I'm kind of excited. You get that hometown, home state case. I do. Yay! So, I got my information from Eleanor Neal on YouTube, which, if you've never seen her tell true crime, I recommend it. Her accent is beautiful. Oh, say less. I can't, I want to say it's Irish. But it could be Welsh or Scottish. Ooh. Yeah, I love her. And her hair is a beautiful shade of orange. And her makeup is on point. But yeah, I got my sources from her, because she's super reliable, and um, from Murderpedia. So, on August 24th, 1990, in the University of Florida, 17-year-old Christina Powell and 18-year-old Sonia Larson went to Walmart, and then they went home. This was the last time anybody heard or seen them. Christina's parents, Frank and Patricia Powell, were planning to visit on the 26th, and Christina hadn't been answering the phone, which was odd because she was expecting her parents. They knocked on the door, no lights were on, there was no answer, no noise. So the parents contacted the police, who got the doors open, and they found the two girls dead inside. Oh shit. Sonia was found on her bed. She was believed to be asleep when it happened. A little warning for this one. Her mouth had sticky residue, which was believed to have been taped and the tape had been peeled off. There was also 20 stab marks. She had been dragged to the edge of the bed. And they noticed by the way her arms were extended out. Because you know when you're on your bed and someone pulls you towards the edge, your arms kind of flail up? Mm Mm-hmm. I can genuinely say that I've never experienced that, but I believe it. Uh, she was positioned also in a sexually degrading way. I hate when they do that. Same. It gets worse. Don't they always? Oh, no, no, no. The killer went on to kill Christina, who was asleep on the couch. She didn't wake up to this? It's... She didn't wake up to her friend being killed, no. Oh. Because tape over the mouth muffled screams. And if you're a heavy sleeper, like me, you're not waking up. That scares me. Which is why I like it when Mikey spends a night, because he's a light sleeper. And so if something happens, he will wake up, which will wake me up. I don't know if I'm a heavy or a light sleeper. I should should figure that one out. So, uh, Christina, it was evident that there was more time spent on her compared to Sonia. Christina had tape on her mouth and wrists, the tape residue. She had been violently raped and stabbed five times in the back. Mm-mm. No. She was also in a sexually degrading position, and he had also Mm-mm. little viewer warning. Cut off her nipples and took them with him. No, leave the tits alone. Leave the tits alone. <laughs> I just protectively grabbed my boobs. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> When I was reading it, I was like, oh, no. Leave the tits alone. Just don't stop. 
Oh, and before leaving the apartment, the killer had a little snacky snack, which was a banana, and he had left the banana skin at the crime scene. Which also reminds me of that German farm case. I don't know if you guys know about it. Where a ma- where someone came to a German house and no, yeah, 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 yeah. murdered yeah. the whole family and stayed there for like a week. Yeah, I remember that case. It just that same vibe. I don't like it. Mariah's so confused. One of us is gonna cover it for you, Mariah. We got you. It's uh, <laughs> it's unsolved. It's so good. Uh, so they the police thought of the murder the murder the motive could have been a burglary gone wrong. However. Nothing was taken and only one of the girls was raped. They thought maybe it was an ex-partner. They went through all the witness lists and everyone they talked to. There was no men they could have thought who would have done this to them. And then someone eventually came up with the motive of someone killing for the sake of killing. The evidence that fit this theory was the positioning for shock, which was the sexual degrading positions, the mutilations, and then the trophies, which were the nipples he took. I hate that still. Only eight hours after the crime scene had been discovered, about two miles away, 18-year-old Krishna Hoyt was a records clerk at the local police office. It raised suspicions when she didn't show up for her shift at midnight on Monday the 27th with no warning. It was very out of character for her. And with what just happened, her co-workers started to panic and they decided to go check on her. Good co-workers. Right? Not all Florida people are bad. They knocked on the door, no answer. They looked around the perimeter, and a piece of the fence was bent inwards as if someone trampled over it. The sliding door was open a bit, and the lock looked to have been tampered with with a knife and a screwdriver. An officer looked in the gap in the curtains and saw her body on the bed. Her body was naked, slumped in a sitting position at the edge of the bed and uh another little warning again prepare yourself because leave the tits alone oh you wish it was a tits this time this time it was her head decapitated her entire head? her entire head because it was sitting on the bookcase facing the body he didn't even take it with her nope he just cut it off put it on the bookcase looking at the body i hate it Get rid of it. Throw the whole whole murderer out. Just get just throw him throw him out. Throw the whole man's away or woman's. I guess I don't know. They saw connection to the other two murders that had just happened. The clothes had been cut off with a knife, and she had been bound. Her nipples had been also cut off. But this <laughs> the face Mariah is giving me. Listen, I don't know what to tell you. Leave the tits alone. Hashtag. <laughs> However. He left them on the bed this time. So which, why even cut this leave in there? You are not Ed Gein, who I will cover eventually. Is he the other guy who cut off people's boobs? And made them into a belt. Alright. Throw the whole man away. Ed Gein, everybody. Yeah. So, Chris yeah. Hoyt's death was a single stab to the back. Gross. And it was done by the same weapon of the other two murder victims. And then she also was carefully sliced from the breastbone to the pubic bone. <laughs> oh, not the bones. I hate it. They determined that Krishna Hoyts had been dead for about two days. So mm-hmm. either the same day or the day after Sonia and Christina's murders. I hate it. Krista hadn't always been sitting. By the way, the discoloration on her back was, it implies that she was laying on her back for a while. And then after her death, he sat her up. So he came back. Like he never left. Oh, yeah. He stayed there for a while. 
these aren't his first murders then. You don't get that ballsy your first time. So what they had also seen was most of the blood left Krista Hoyt's body via the wound in her back. So that means she was already dead when he decapitated her. Oh, good. And then because of this, they figured out he was in Krista's home for a couple of hours after the attack. It's also believed that the killer was already in her house when Krista had come home that evening. Don't like that. I'm going to be doing like sweeps of my home when I come home in the future. Every night I'm going to go through every room. Do people not do that? No. So that day, the 27th, for those keeping track, the news broke that there was a serial killer attacking young women in the college, housing and accommodations. The city went into a panic and the city barely had any time to respond because the next morning, two students were reported missing. On August 28th in 1990, Tracy Pauls and Manuel Tobada what kind of last name is Tobada? I am so sorry. Lulu, some respect. They're dead. I know, that's why I said I'm sorry. I'm just illiterate. And my brain was like glitching at that last name. So both were 23 years old. They were roommates. Manny's friends had realized they hadn't heard from him. So they went to the campus manager and they went to go check on him. They got the door open and they saw blood on the floor and a black bag. They dipped and called the police. So when the police came, smart kids, the black bag was gone. Mm-hmm. That's where he's keeping the nipples. So it's believed that when they open, that is. Wait, is it actually? No. Oh, thought I was smart for a second. I just I like that theory. But yeah, since the bag was gone, it's believed that when they opened the door. Oh, bye, Mariah. Maybe you come, come back. back. You can blame it all on me there was something do you think of the swifter commercial when you think of that song yes oh thank god i just i always remember seeing the mop looking there she is there you are hi my internet was struggling what was the last thing you heard the last thing you said like 20 seconds ago the black bag was missing and so it's believed the killer was still in the room when the doors opened so they find tracy in the hallway but it's seen that she was killed on her bed and then dragged out. There is evidence of her being bound again by the tape residue, and the cause of death for her was three stabs to the back. Her clothes had been cut off with a knife, and the bra was forcibly torn from her. Her body was also posed, well, it was posed in a sexually degrading position as well. We just stop recording these at night. I'm not sleeping. Not me and my student housing. <laughs> It's fine, you have roommates. One. It's fine. You have a lock on your door, right? You're fine. It's cool, it's fine. If I die, I die. That's what oh. I say when I'm driving. If I die, I don't have to take my test tomorrow. Oh. If I die, I don't have to figure out my class schedule. Big brain thoughts. Honestly. Okay, we need to stop tempting fate. Mm-hmm. So, Manny, the roommate, had Manny had been stabbed and slashed all over his face, arms, and torso. There's evidence that Manny fought back and the killer had killed him first because of it. Manny was also athletic, so the killer had to know what he was doing. You know what, Manny? I'm proud of you for fighting back at the very least. It is also speculated that Tracy saw Manny and the killer fighting and went into her room to hide. No, bitch, leave. The police believe that the killer hadn't been expecting Manny because the killer had the type of and them being women, petite, short, with brown hair and brown eyes. I don't like it. 
Uh, your saving grace is you don't know how brown eyes. I have hazel eyes. I dye my hair red. It's cool. It's fine. So, this is true. Because Manny was murdered and he didn't fit the type, the public freaked out even more. Because now it was like it was seeming that the killer was killing anybody who crossed his path. I mean, is that not what's happening? All I'm gonna say is, you know, Dead by Daylight ghost face and how he gets his stuff. Like his tears. Yeah. Yeah. Sure do. <laughs> can say I'm not a fan. <laughs> So it's determined that Tracy and Manny were killed on the 27th, which was the day the news broke. Then so the media compared this serial killer to both Ted Bundy and Jack the Ripper. Mm, I I can see it. And the significance of Ted Bundy is Ted Ted Bundy had also just recently died. If I'm remembering correctly, he was fried in 89. Yeah, that sounds right. It sounds like Jack the Ripper tendencies with Ted Bundy's target audience. Yeah, exactly. I hate that I can make that comparison. I love they can make that comparison because then I didn't have to. Do you know about murder or are you normal? I cannot imagine not knowing about murder. I can. I used to not. Listen, Criminal Minds was my shit when I was little. Uh, my mom loved Criminal Minds. Ma'am, I cried watching witches when I was little. Look how far I've come. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. But yeah. So I'm assuming, I'm not assuming, I'm, I'm claiming that this is where he got the name Gainesville Ripper because this was happening in Gainesville, Florida. So mm-hmm. after Manny and Tracy were murdered, the killing stopped. So the police now actually had time to process everything that fucking happened. Because before it was back to back to back to back to back. Yeah, but that also means that the trail stops there. Which, I mean, is it's that's not a bad thing. We don't want more murders. Just saying it gives the killer more time to be on the move. Sorry, I'm a pessimist. No, you're good. It's valid. So with the evidence they're able to process victimology, the same that it was all the same weapon, that they all experienced sexual assault, the positionings of the victims, the mutilation, missing oh. underwear. The they collected evidence suggested the killer was wearing gloves, that all the women were bound with duct tape, and that was always carefully removed afterwards. All the places had sliding glass doors that were broken into with a screwdriver and knife, and they looked out into the garden and or woods. So it was places that where if someone was looking out from the sliding glass door they wouldn't easily spot you. So it's believed that the Gainesville Ripper was stalking people before killing them. Which was Ghostface's little ability. I hate him. Along with Daddy Myers. I hate him too. So the police searched the local local areas to see if evidence has been dumped. The city reaction was panic. They ran out of guns, mace, and anything that can be used for protection. Man, does that not sound like the pandemic to you? I know! I was writing it and I'm like, ah, this is familiar. We still can't get ammo up here. Oh shit. (laughs) So students were also dropping out of college, which, fair. But well, I also wonder- That's not because of this. It was probably midterm. They were in like two weeks of school and they're like, fuck this. I need an excuse to drop out. This is happening. Perfect. Parents can't get mad. Yeah, actually, that's really, really valid. I was looking for an out at that time. I didn't find one and now here I am. Does it? People were also staying at hotels rather than at their house. Colleges now hired round-the-clock security, especially for sororities. Good. And the housings. And then because the city is panicking, rumors began to spread. It was theorized that maybe it was 
you want to take a random guess on people on who people thought this could be like what occupation this person had janitor yeah that's a good guess i'm gonna go with professor pizza guy oh, oh that, that checks out too and then pe- and then they also believed it could be someone dressed as a doctor or the police to which the police did not appreciate because they're like we need people to give us information and help us I- yeah, I wouldn't yeah. appreciate that either. But also, why you open the door to a doctor? Absolutely not. <laughs> Don't come to my household. Leave. Stare right in the eye and bite into an apple. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was a poorly timed joke. Uh, no. People are dead. I'm trying to write that in quotes real quick. Now I need to show some respect. So, the motive was believed. They actually, they like, this is the motive that they're going to go with. That he did it because he liked to, he liked this type of woman. And he killed them because he could. Okay. It's a power play. Mm-hmm. This investigation had 6,500 leads. Jeez. And 1,500 pieces of evidence. That's a lot of puzzle pieces to put together there, folks. The po- yeah. police questions. Why were some women stabbed or more than others? Why were some on the bed versus the floor? why the decapitation, why the positioning, why the nipple cutting, and why he only took the first pair. Why the nipple cutting? You know, vibes. These are valid questions to be asking. They are. I would also be asking these questions. Can you imagine being the detective on this case? Just be like, nipples that were cut off? I'm sorry. Huh? I'm sorry. What the fuck? And like with the stewy head turn thing that he does. <laughs> so from this, they were able to co- make a suspect profile. To which all the sites that I had were like, suspect profiles are not 100%, but this is what they were going with. Well, yeah. They went with a white male, late 20s to early 30s, about 6 feet tall, strong athletic build, single loner, average to high intelligence, knowledge of police work, or military experience, a criminal past, specifically a violent crime past. They believe the killer to be confident, good self-image, but poor image of women, organized, not religious, neat and clean, with a menial job with little skills needed. The forensics test came back a couple days later because it's the 90s, it took time. The DNA found on Christina Powell's body and a paper towel found near her body tested positive for semen. It was the same with a sample taken from Krista Hoyt's body, and it was confirmed to be the same person. So that was the official link they needed. I hate everything about it. Retweet. So the suspect list went to 67, I'm sorry, 675 men in the Gainesville area. It's a lot of men to go through. That's improvement, I think. The police got really suspicious of an 18-year-old named Edward Humphrey after a lot of people kept mentioning this name to the police. With a name like that. I'm kidding. But also, no, I'm not. (laughs) So, Edward Humphrey used to live in the complex where Tracy died. Some sources say he had a crush on Tracy and he had been kicked out of the complex for erratic and threatening behavior against other tenants. He always carried a knife. He was a loner. He always wore camo. To which is a crime, I believe. Or should be. Yeah, at least a fashion one. crime. Humphrey also told a woman at the bank. To which I don't know how the fuck he got to this conversation with her. 
Like, I just, I want to know how it got there. But also, men will randomly say shit. Like, the first thing that pops into their head. Literally. Uh, he told the woman at the bank that he had knives at home that could rip the skin off of her body. That's a kink. How do you feel about that kink, Mariah? I feel like a perfectly normal amount of emotion about it. <laughs> do you? No, no, I am not avoiding eye contact. <laughs> you say as you stare at your wall. Okay, not like the skin part. But <laughs> well, what's, a, what's a little knife kink once in a while? Alright, so Mariah wants a man with a knife collection. <laughs> We'll um, unpack that in therapy later. <laughs> Apply at our email. <laughs> if they have, like, the rainbow knife, even better. Oh, those are beautiful knives. Oh, you should have seen her face. <laughs> those are beautiful knives. But yeah, so Edward Humphrey was charged with aggravated assault against his grandmother on August 30th, three days after the last murder. And then the murders had also stopped after Tracy and Manny, which was on the 27th. And he was arrested on the 30th. So the police are like, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So he was taken to a mental health facility. And he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. The police questioned him. And he had a lot of knowledge on what happened. And his bail was set for a million dollars. It's a lot. Could be more. Humphrey's apartment was searched. And it was like two different people lived there. One half was neat. The other half was trashed, broken, and dark. However, there was no evidence linking Edward to the murders. But they did find a large collection of knives and screwdrivers. Like the ones that were used to break the lock on the sliding glass door. However, not a single knife and not a single screwdriver matched the marks that were left behind. Well... He's probably smart enough to keep those somewhere else, right? So, at this time, too, they also took DNA from him. And the results would take weeks, because 1990s. Right. But it was but it was true that while Humphrey was arrested, the murders had stopped. And after two weeks, the DNA was negative. Wait, hey, hey. Yep. I just accused this man for no reason. I feel gypped. I also feel mean. I'm sorry. I'm gonna write a letter to him. I'm gonna write him a letter and say, I'm sorry for accusing you on my true crime podcast. You looked really sus. <laughs> I'm sure your knife collection is very nice. If you have a picture of a rainbow one, I would like a picture of it. I would love to never meet to discuss this. However, please send me knife pics. Mm-hmm. So Humphrey was actually never officially cleared, nor did he receive an apology a public apology see now i really feel like we need to apologize to him i just want to talk about what he told the bank person i have questions then again he assaulted his grandma we'll cross that bridge when he goes to therapy Mm -hmm. so it's at this time the police turned to the fbi for help and the fbi gave him access to the violent crime apprehension program also known as vcapt we're going to talk about the fbi later in this episode too we love a thing. So, the database has all details of any violent crime in the U.S. And you can use key details to filter them out. So, Wait, I was listening to a case about this today. Don't ask me what it was. I have the short-term memory of a goldfish. I wrote it down, though. <laughs> 
So this system brought up eight other cases that matched this profile. There was one that was almost identical to the Gainesville murders, and it was an unsolved triple homicide in Shreveport, Louisiana. Sid, do you remember when you said he did this before? Like, he had the confidence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because he did. Yeah, you don't just start off your criminal life with just, like, this really big crime where you stay in the house. No, you have to build up to that. This is the result of escalation. <laughs> now we'll die on that mountain that I just... <laughs> you don't just start cutting off the nipples. <laughs> so, on November 4th of 1989... Yeah, 1989. I said that right. Ooh, I could read. So this is less than a year before the Gainesville murders. Julie Grimson, 24, her father, William, 55, and her nephew, Sean, 8, were all at home when someone broke in and stabbed them in with the same knife. Crazy. Why would you still have the same knife? Maybe it's, like, sentimental. I don't give a fuck. You eat that shit into the ocean after you murder somebody with it. Or the bayou he's in Louisiana. Listen, he was too confident. Yeah, this is true. He didn't care about linking cases. Homeboy had an ego. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like profiling your case. (laughs) No, you should be. So it's seen that Julie was a target. She had been taken to the bedroom and killed there. And there was, she was also positioned in a sexually degrading position. And it was social similarities with the murder and the way it was cleaned up. So the police went back to the 674 because Humphrey was confirmed not to be it to see if any were in Louisiana at the time of the triple homicide. They did interviews, the whole shebang. While they're going through this list, on September 8th, 1990, they get a call from the police department in Ocala, Florida, to which I have been twice now. It's the fucking boondocks. I shit you not. I saw one school in that entire city. It is. Listen. The small town. Small town. But it is in this city that the Ocala police say they arrested a man for armed robbery of a Winn-Dixie. Well, you really had to go for the Winn-Dixie not far from Gainesville, who was from Sharif Park, Louisiana. Buddy, you messed up. And his background check turned up that he was wanted for an attempted murder of his own father. <laughs> what this kind of daddy issues? Is... <laughs> <laughs> this man is Danny Rowling. Man, my mind just went Danny DeVito. <laughs> yes, that that is the Gainesville Ripper. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> DeVito. Sorry. Not Phil from Hercules. Oh yeah, he wasn't Hercules. Not the trash man from Sunny Side of Philadelphia. I'm sorry. Oh my god. I'd like to make a public apology to Danny DeVito. <laughs> I'm keeping that in the box, keeping it in there. So, Danny DeVito, I mean, Danny Rowling, <laughs> a lengthy criminal past, which is why he would know how the police worked. 
it almost exactly matched the profile that the police had come up with. Danny's father was horrifically abusive, and Danny's mother had a nervous breakdown from this. When Danny... And I'm gonna go ahead and list off the abuse he experienced. At six months, he was kicked into a wall. At one years old... I'm sorry. Yeah. Head trauma. Yeah. I wonder what that's like one of the three. You know, I don't know if he was a bedwetter. I don't know. Did he torture animals? Yes. Uh, at one years old, he was beaten when he walked funny. At five, the family got a puppy. Aww. Danny's father beat the puppy to death in front of him, and the puppy died in his arms. Cancel the father. Cancel oh, him. Yeah. Hey, club! I see why Danny Rowling tried to kill his father. It makes me a little bit sad that it was a try. Is the father still alive? Yeah, it was attempted. Yeah, but, like, is he still alive? Oh, I don't know if he's still kicking it in 2021. I'm gonna need you to do some research for me, because I'm not saying I condone murder, but... And if you kill the puppy, I'm just saying. I don't make the rules. <laughs> Ethically speaking here. Ooh, is she Googling it for Games. me? Games. Real time. Alive. He died in 2012. Oh, thank God. At the age of 81. So, oh. while Danny, between the ages of 6 to 8... Danny was beaten twice a week. At age 13, he was handcuffed to his brother. They were beaten and then left outside. And then he continued to live with his parents until he was 37 years old, suffering more and more abuse as time went on. Don't have an answer for you there. Danny attempted suicide many times throughout his life. And then one day, Danny and his dad got into a very bad argument. Danny pulled out a gun and shot his father once in the head and once in the chest. Danny thought the old man was dead and he went on the run. Old man was a tough bastard and did not die. Very rude. He did die in 2012 though, so. So police looked into Danny's criminal history and they found peeping, theft, killing animals, assault, both sexual and non-sexual, and then he served time in three different states for armed robbery. They looked more into this by looking at unsolved armed robberies around Gainesville area, and they found an armed robbery near Crystal Hoyt's body, like that morning where David found her. So that morning when they had found her, that armed robbery case, it was a white and a black dude, dudes, sorry, plural, the white dude had took off while the black dude had accepted his fate and gave up. He said the white dude with him was named Mike Kennedy. There was a campsite for these two that was sort of like a home base and it was full of like the money that was full of the dyes because they robbed banks. And this campsite was not that far from Krista's home. At the campsite, they also had locked this away in evidence, everything they had found. And because it was an armed robbery case, they put it in evidence while this is going on with the murders. So there's a bit of an overlap, but it's just like a near miss kind of thing. I'm sorry, was the, were the nipples there though? There was no nipples recorded, found. Oh, okay. I was just curious. Which is why I'm guessing there was no link. So the police looked at the evidence in the lockers thinking that Danny was actually Michael. And they found a ski mask, and when they tested the fibers 
found on a small piece of tape that was found at Krista's place. So they compared the two. They also found on pants at the campsite a little bit of blood that matched Manny's, who was the fourth victim. They found screwdriver that matched the markings made for the break-ins. They also found Krista Hoyt's pubic hair and sleeping bag. They found tape and headphones, like tape, like the recording tape, like a cassette kind of thing, not like duct tape. They found tape and headphones at the campsite, but they didn't listen to it when they collected it. And it turned out to be a voice recording from Danny to his mother and brother. And it said, I know I have to run for the rest of my life but I'm getting pretty good at it. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you worrying about me. I'm a big boy, I can take care of myself. We're all down here for just a breath anyways. Well, I'm gonna sign off for a little bit. I got something I gotta do. And this was believed to be recorded before the first murder in Gainesville. He sure did have something he had to do. So while they're going through all of this, Danny was in jail for the armed robbery of the Winn-Dixie that Ocala had caught him for. So the police visited him in jail and he was uncooperative for the interview, but he did give up blood, fingerprints, and a tooth as well as pubic hair. To which, when they told him they needed pubic hair, Danny said, no problem. He stood up, lowered his pants, no, ripped two handfuls of his pubic hair and slammed it down at the table and said, that should be enough. No. In front of everybody. His confidence. It's through the roof in front of everybody. The audacity. God, I hope he had a really tiny penis. I hope the people who saw that don't remember it. The DNA was a match to all three of the Florida crime scenes. He was charged with five counts of first degree murder, three counts of sexual battery, and then three counts of armed burglary. However, DNA was still such a new piece of technology at the time that it couldn't be completely admissible in court because it was still unknown with how accurate this science was. So police would need a confession. Sounds fake. Ma'am, it's 1990. (laughs) DNA testing was brand new. Get a confession. At this time while he's in jail for the everything going on, Rowling's was cellmates with Bobby Lewis who was the only one to ever escape death row at the time because Florida had a track record. So Danny befriended him, hoping to get some tips on how to get out of death row. And he did this by telling Bobby all the details of his murder. He told Bobby he wanted to be a superstar like Ted Bundy. Oh yeah, here, look, I confirmed myself. Ted Bundy had fried the year before Rowling's first murder in Florida in 1989. Good job, me. I actually wrote shit down. So, Danny was actually ready to confess to police, but on one condition. He did not want to speak to the police directly. He wanted to speak through Bobby Lewis. This took a fucking hot while, like hours, but the police did secure the confession. Turns out that Rowling's traveled via bike to get to murder to murder because it was quiet and quick. He admitted to stalking the victims and that he had killed Manny to get him out of the way. He did, however, refuse to talk about the Greensome murders which was the ones in Louisiana. And he said his motive was that he wanted to kill one person for every year he spent in jail for armed robberies before. And he had spent eight years in prison, which is why he stopped killing after number eight, because he had killed the three in Louisiana and then the five in Florida. However, people think this is a lie and that he's only saying this because he got caught and he wants to keep the power to himself 
rather than admit defeat that the police stopped him. To which I believe because narcissism. Very evident here. So the trial was on February 15th of 1994. The defense was ready to say not guilty via insanity. However, in that day in court, Danny stood up and pled guilty to all five in Florida with no warning to anybody. So he was sentenced to death on April 20th, 1994, three and a half years after the first murders in Gainesville. He was not executed until October 5th, 2006 at 6.13 p.m. His last meal was lobster, shrimp, baked potatoes, cheesecake, and sweet tea. That's a good meal. Right? I'm kind of like, shit, that's kind of banger. Do you guys ever put any thought into what your last meal would be? Well, you see, I don't know if we're planning on killing someone, so no. However, if we're if we're really talking about it, and it would be mashed potatoes, gravy, and hamburger. Water. All right. If I'm going out, I'm going out in style. I am going. I'm gonna have literally Probably every food water. I enjoy, even though I'm not gonna be able to finish it all. We're gonna have chow mein, chicken, mashed potatoes, and gravy, Connie soda fries. Probably a code mm-hmm. red Mountain Dew. You know. Can oh you actually, can I get a Slurpee? <gasps> yes. Oh, an Oreo shake. Who knows? Will the execution kill me first or my heart exploding? Or I was like, I'm going out in my own way. <laughs> Sorry, you said lethal injection. I thought you meant lethal stomach injection. <laughs> you know, I'm still thinking about it. I know for sure though, like a strawberry shake is on top of that list. Oh, and pufferfish because it's lethal anyways. Like, I think about it time to time at work when I have nothing to think about. I'm like, what would be my last meal? Shake is consistently beyond that list, though. Oh, and then... Sometimes I think about, like, if I did decide to be a murderer, what would my MO be? I haven't thought about that. I haven't figured out what mine would be, which is fine because I don't want to become a murderer. Anyway, <laughs> anywho. Yeah. Oh, the butt cakes my brother brings home from a shop near his work those for sure those are fucking is it nothing but cakes yes nothing but cakes so he had no actual last words the lethal injection happened and while it was he stared down the victim's families one by one after his death police found a note where danny confessed to the grimson murders And then after Danny died, a woman came forward saying that she could potentially be a survivor from Danny Rowling's. Hell yeah. Her name is Janet Frank, and this happened two weeks before his first killing. Janet Frank said that she was attacked in her own home by who she believes to be Danny. He broke in, tried to handcuff her, but it didn't lock, so he taped her wrists and her eyes. He ripped off her clothes and he raped her in the bathroom and bedroom. He told her he would rape her all night long and then kill her and leave her in the closet. And Janet was a true crime enthusiast. Queen. She said she just started doing what she learned from like true crime stuff. She started talking to him, trying to figure, she's like, she figured out that he was probably lashing out at her. So she spoke to him as if she was a friend to him. And since again, she was into true crime, she knew what to do for evidence in case he did kill her. Like one of the towels he used while he raped her, she hid under the bed so the semen would still be there and stuff like that. But she lived the tale to tell. And this is the case that inspired Scream and Ghostface. 
AKA the bane of my existence. He, he do just be, <laughs> be in the bushes. <laughs> he do. <laughs> uh, are you comfy cozy? Ah, uh, you know. <laughs> sure. No feeling I won't be for long. <laughs> do beyond Mariah's paranormal now. Unless you have some final thoughts on the daily rolling case. Leave the tits alone. Hashtag. The hashtag's going on all of our <laughs> posts for this week. Do it. I am here for it. You've heard of hashtag free the nips. No, now there's hashtag leave the tits alone. Valid cause. You can donate at tnterror.com. I'm kidding. Oh, I was ready to get spooky. Oh, yeah. I lied off oh, the beat. We're gonna oh. take a rain check on the I'm gonna have fun editing this later. I am back. Alright, Mara, what you got for us? I say as if I okay. pretend. I don't. For today's paranormal, I took a page out of Sid's book and was like, Dear Lulu, um, please, for the love of God, help me with my paranormal case. And my God, these notes are so organized. <laughs> Aren't they? I didn't know what to do with them. I have sources. Did you bribe her with tea? No, but believe me, something's coming. My sources are uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved, which we did watch that video together on this case. Oh, my case is the Sorrel Weed Haunted Mansion. <laughs> you whole ass almost forgot to introduce your case. I love that for you. <laughs> I remember we was like, oh, you should do this case as weed in it. And I was like, right? <laughs> Ooh. Um, the sources we have today besides BuzzFeed Unsolved is Wikipedia. Ghost Savannah, a website Lulu forgot to write down. <laughs> TTbook.org slash interview, Galaventer Tour, TripAdvisor, West Sound Paranormal, and That's Stories it. in the Cemetery. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> you really had to call me out. You couldn't just skip the one I forgot to write down. <laughs> no, this would, is better. Why would I skip over the. <laughs> oh, my God. Um. Let's start with some basic info right now. The Sorrel Weed House is in Savannah, Georgia, on the corner of Bull Street and Harris Street. This building now stands as a historical landmark as of 1954 because of its historical value and grandeur, mostly for its significance in the Revolutionary and Civil War. Uh, it's one of the largest houses in the city at 16,000 square feet. It's pretty baller size. It now acts as a museum that conducts tours during the day and a haunted Savannah ghost tours every evening. And it is also one of the most haunted homes in the United States. We do love a good haunted home. Yeah, that's crazy. My case yesterday was in Georgia too. Yeah, that was a happy coincidence. <laughs> Also, I just realized both paranormal cases that I work for you guys involved haunted homes. <laughs> I love that. That was what my comment was about. <laughs> and then the case I did before was a haunted oh, yeah. home. We got a trend. Which I, one of us is going to break it first? Probably me. I'm probably going to do a cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> a little backstory for you guys. Uh, the property may sit on one of the bloodiest events of the American Revolution. So, in October of 1779, there was the Siege of Savannah, which was um, the bloodiest hour of the Revolution. It pitted Americans, with the help of the French, against the British who occupied Georgia. The Americans did lose, and over 1,000 lives were lost. That's only a few. Yeah, only a few. So yeah, this is exactly what Leslie Odom Jr. was singing about in- wait for it. Edit <laughs> <laughs> Editor Lulu, please edit that out so we don't get copyrighted. Okay. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Guys, the part that you no longer can hear. 
because Sydney brought up a fair <laughs> point. We were singing Wait For It from Hamilton because it fits. <laughs> don't quote me on that, though. I also just don't want the internet to hear me singing. I keep getting confused because it's in Savannah, Georgia, and little homie's name is Savannah. Mariah, <laughs> little homie was not a part of the right. Oh, speaking of, we had a... Where was she? Right. We had a live call-in from a viewer um, during that true crime case yeah oh. it was maria calling saying that her and and um her son were, was listening to her son was very upset because you guys said you said zach bagan's wrong and he was like if you guys don't say it right you're gonna lose a viewer <laughs> ma'am i don't think i said it right in the next episode in the last episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's okay julian here's some clarification now i educated them fine you're just nine years old you don't have to fight them you'd win if you fought me <laughs> you have the strength of a chicken nugget you do have the strength of a chicken nugget listen uh english is not my first language and i stand by that <laughs> The Sorrel House was built in 1848 by Francis Sorrel, who was a wealthy plantation owner, which of course he was. This was more of an urban slave situation, as in there was no- and there was a courtyard that separated the main house from the carriage house where the slaves would live. The house was made up of two stories. Inside there was a fireplace, table, cast iron pots for cooking, a chamber pot, barrel for bathing, a bed that was a wooden frame with no support other than an interlaced rope that made it like a hammock bed hybrid. Two blankets, one is a cover and one is a pillow. Oh, this was- was that like the slave part of the house? Okay. Yes. No, but I'm really interested in the hammock part. Sorrel House was built for his family and as a gathering place for the rich. It cost about $12,000 at the time, which was considered a lot back then. Considered a lot now, but you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, is it not- I was gonna say. <laughs> still a lot. That's like what I'm paying for college. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, a mini break for Francis T. Part 1? Oh, say less. Okay, before Francis had the house built, um, in 1822, he married Lucinda Moxley, who was 17 at the time while well, he was 29. Oh no. Um, the coppers heard you say that and they're on their way right, right now. <laughs> Literally. Um, five years later, Lucinda dies of yellow fever. R.I.P. Uh, two years after her death, he married her younger sister, Matilda, who was 23 at the time. Imagine marrying your dead sister's husband. What the fuck? The Sorrel House was also the boyhood home to Confederate Brigadier General Moxley Sorrell. Lulu would like to add, she's vomiting. No wonder this house is haunted. Fucking bad juju inviting me there. <laughs> Robert E. Lee, who was a close family friend, even visited the, the home. I'm a general. <laughs> Frank Sorrell, the son of Francis, was a doctor who had a surgery room surgery room in the basement of the Sorrell house. That seems not safe. Right, even more so is for a trauma surgery. <laughs> the Sorrell house hosted parties that would be connected, oh, that would be in two connected parlor rooms, one side for the men and one side for the women. If people today say they still smell the cigars and brandies what was happening on each side of these parties oh so the men's side will most likely talk about business and stuff while the women's just gossiping yeah i'm into that i'll gossip to listen cheese me yeah yeah the woman probably talking about what we're talking about right now the murders of their time <laughs> honestly yeah 
Henrietta, can you believe that Benjamin was killed last week? I think it was his brother, Timothy. I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. Well, obviously, there's no other- It just happened? (laughs) Jeez, Inez. (laughs) Can't believe a word she says. I just feel sorry for Betty. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, so on March 7th of 1860, uh, Matilda Sorrell, the wife of Francis, uh, is this the younger sister? That he had married, yes. Okay, oh yeah, it is. Um, she fell from the second window into the courtyard and banged her head against the flagstone courtyard. She's cited as having a concussion. She fell or she fell? There are some quotes around the fell. Oh, but it was believed to be suicide. Oh, that's not what I meant when I asked that question. Right? But that is why the quotes are there. Get ready, y'all, because we're going to Francis T. Part 2. Um, supposedly, Francis had a long-time affair with one of the young slave girls. Oh, yeah, it was definitely not an affair. (laughs) That was just straight-up rape. Okay. The incident happened in a room above the carriage house, which was deemed Molly's room for privacy. They were discovered by Matilda, and enraged, she then supposedly committed suicide. A few weeks later, Molly, aka the young girl- wait, was it the young girl? Uh, the slave was a young girl, yes. Oh yeah, she was found hanging from a noose inside the carriage house, also supposed suicide. Multiple sources cite that there is no proof of Molly's existence, however, one source does mention that Charles Green, the owner of the house across the street, owned a slave named Molly and was Sorrell's friend. During a time in the mid-1800s where it's very easy to make a slave go missing and make it seem as if they never existed. I can't say facts because I wrote this. <laughs> I can say facts. Facts. True. Um, despite everyone believing Matilda died at the Sorrel Reed house, Matilda didn't commit suicide there. She actually committed it next door at 12 West Terrace. <clears throat> Since on June 14th, 1859, Francis Sorrel sold the house to Aunt Henry D. Weed for $23,000. In today's money, that was a little over half a million. Oh, so the Sorrells moved out. I'd sell the house too. Right. Matilda's suicide is recorded in a compilation of Civil War era letters published in a book called Children of Pride. It's said that she threw herself off the second floor story window in a moment of lunacy falling upon the pavement of the yard, a plunge which ended her life. In this letter, it's mentioned that the location of her death was her residence on Harris Street, next door to the house, which was where the family mansion had been for so many years. In 1862, Henry Davis Weed bought it, thus giving it the name of the Sorrell Weed House, and it remained in the Weed family until 1914. Vacant from 1914 until 1940 when it was opened to the public uh, by the Society for Preservation of Savannah Landmarks, now known as Historic Savannah Foundation. Now this bit is a little uncertain, but on a tour review it says that tour guide Graham, or on a first name basis of tour guide Graham, (laughs) apparently Graham said that in 1950 the house was bought and turned into an old dress shop changed out the tiles in the basement and cemented the floor. When the house was bought to be restored, they had to dig it up instead to give it new flooring that would have been a replica. And the digging turned up revolutionary war artifacts like buttons, red cloth, French cannonballs, and bones that could total the 12 bodies. They didn't want to spend restoration funds to further research on the bones, so they returned them where they found them and covered it up. <laughs> I love that. so which is also the biggest not my job i have ever wrote down maybe they're like oh what if this is actually like an indian beer girl ground and we just fuck up our lives if we take the bones (laughs) we put back 
We're just gonna pretend we didn't see these. Possible deniability. <laughs> Until Graham over here comes out and right. outs everything. Graham, you a homie. Keep it up. We're adding Graham to the nice list. Um, so for some of the nice, spooky, paranormal happenings of the Sorrel Weed House, two of the most prominent spirits are of Matilda Sorrel and of Molly. There is... I hope they're friends in the afterlife. Right? I hope she's like, hey, I'm sorry for what my husband did to you. Um, there is footsteps, unexplained creaking upstairs. <gasps> Shadow people. Oh, no, 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 no. Apparitions in the mirror over the fireplace. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, the feeling of your clothes being tugged. Jewelry being pulled. I'd be like, just take it. <laughs> uh, Honestly. <gasps> I don't right? need it. Like, let me just keep the little keychain on, on the end of it. <laughs> um, there's also ghost orbs. <gasps> Purses unbuckling. Wakanda. Swindling. I respect it, though. In the basement where the trauma surgery room was, people feel unexplained touching, uh, they see shadows, they have bizarre feelings, oh, apparitions are pacing the room, there's chairs moving. <laughs> there's also a little girl named Sarah who is seen in that she loves to play hide and seek. Baby. Right? Some guests say that when they do play hide and seek with her, they hear a found you on their spirit box. I want to protect her. I want to protect her as a ghost. I want to play hide and seek with her. Right? Put it on the bucket list. <laughs> the spirit of Frances Sorrell is associated with the dining room with chairs moving and a candle being tossed across the room. Okay, Frances, chill. Aggro for what? Um, other spirits that are said to be seen are slaves that are seen continuing their work. The main house is haunted by a man who was shot and killed in the entrance, which, oh my god. <laughs> when the sci-fi channel visited the Sorrel Weed House, their ghost investigators got the sounds of an enslaved woman screaming and begging for her life as it seems like she's being murdered. It could be Molly, but who knows? Tap's team of ghost hunters captures a very distinctive yelling EVP that lasted for several seconds. No one was in the carriage house at this time and captured video footage of what could be Matilda walking around. Oh, and we get to end this case on a little fun fact. Why do you look so confused? You wrote these notes. <laughs> I don't remember putting a fun fact for you. Fun fact. Opening scene of Forrest Gump was filmed from the oh, rooftop yeah. of this house, aka the floating feather scene. Ooh, saucy. And that concludes yeah. the case of the spooky ass Sorrel Weed House. 420 places. There it is. <laughs> this whole time I was waiting for it. Alright ladies, are you ready to talk about government conspiracy? All the time. Yes. <laughs> um, so somehow, just because I thought this was weird, guess what website I found this on? 4chan. No. <laughs> Spirit Halloween. They have a list of urban legends. Oh. Yeah, this was the only one I pulled off of it. Alright, so today we're going to be talking about the arcade game Polybius. Ooh. Because neither of you reacted, I assume you don't know it. So, luckily for you, I do now know it. This urban legend emerged in like roughly 2011 and it was based around the 1980s arcade game called Polybius. So, it's said that it was part of a government run crowds racing psychology experiment, aka MKUltra. 
and that it was based in Portland, Oregon. Oh. Wait, is the face mm-hmm. because of MK Ultra? Because you were frozen for a second. Yes. Hey guys, I'm going deep into government conspiracies these days. AKA just this one. But, um, <laughs> so the game is said to be crazy addictive, and it was created to have intense psychoactive effects on the player. It was so addictive that the lines for the machine would just, like, be super long, and people would literally fight over who got to play next. Like, fist fights, man. I think I know, I think I've heard of this. Have you? I just simply know little details here and there. Because I got four pages of details. Tell me all the details. Alright, um, so they were only placed in a handful of arcades, and they were frequently visited by men in black for the purpose of data mining so that they could analyze the results. Players would allegedly suffer from effects such as amnesia, insomnia, night terrors, and hallucinations. But shortly after it started appearing in arcades, it mysteriously disappeared just a month after it was allegedly released. And the company in charge of this game, or that they think was in charge of this game, from like the two pictures that they have of it was Sinaskoklin, which roughly translates to sense delete or sensory deprivation in German that's not quite correct. So where did all this come from? Where where am I getting the sitch? What's the situation? Why are people all sorts of worried and concerned and confused and curious about this? Well, it was first recorded in an arcade game resource called coinop.org, which we're going to talk about more later because I visited the website, on February 6th of 2000, but the website lists the origin date of the post as in 1998, but they explain this away as a database error. It's still listed as that, by the way. So their post states that Polybus's name as well as a copyright date, which were apparently uh, were pulled from an ROM image or ROM image of the game, but the rest of the information is unknown. So they know nothing about the game except for the copyright date, the company that produced it, and the name. And then sometime after September in 2003, the owner of coinop.org would send a message to GamePro, which is a really popular gaming magazine. Yes, it is. And they would then write an article about Polybius. It would appear in a feature story on video games called Secrets and Lies, which is the first known printed mention of the game, which exposed it to a mass market audience. This article also claimed that the existence of the game is inconclusive, which only made the curiosity and the rumors stronger, and so it spread faster. Um, After the game appeared in this magazine, people started to come forward and say that they had a part in it, and according to one of the people who came forward, Stephen Roach, he said that he was one of the game developers, and he claimed that they had removed the games in a panic after a kid experienced epileptic seizures while playing it. Um, and so then yeah, when I... That caused a panic. Hmm? Yeah, that would cause a panic. So then I went on coinop.org just out of curiosity to see if it was still on there. It is. It's still their most popular article. Um, and they had a, they had a thing or two to say about Stephen Roach. They don't like him very much. And they said, "I this is a direct quote, we just wanted to go on record here that Stephen Roach is full of himself and knows nothing about this game. Ooh, shit. That is 
on the website. Oh my god. Yeah, it's later revealed in a documentary that Stephen Roach was actually lying when he made the comments about his alleged participation in the creation development of the game. What the fuck? It was also proven, not by him, but that when he was talking about it, he claimed that it was a prototype for the game Tempest and Coinop and also one of the documentaries about this game very clearly said that that is fake news. It was not that Tempest is a totally different game and the graphics are not the same or similar at all. So not only did he lie, he's a shitty liar. Yeah, basically they were just like calling him out for lying entirely. Uh, so then on the same article in Coinop, they said that they recently had received new information on the game and that they would be flying to an area in the Ukraine on May 17th, 2009, and that they would provide an update after that trip. They did not provide an update after that trip. That was the last time that they had updated the website. Oh my god, are they alive? I don't know. I'm a little worried for them. Uh, yeah. So this legend has actually inspired a lot of other games of the same name and mock-up cabinets to go with it. So you can find the game online, but it's not the authentic because there are no authentic cabinets or ROM dumps that have been located. But you can play it. I watched a video of it online and I can genuinely say that I don't think I would be interested in the game. It's like a shooter game, like think Space Invaders, but in a circle with a lot of flashing lights. Okay. Yeah. So while the game has never actually been proven to exist, there are a lot of things that like have actually happened that people think have fed into this legend. And so the first is that there were two players that fell ill in Portland on the same day in 1981, which is allegedly the year that Polybius was released. The first one was from a migraine after playing Tempest. And the second one was from a kid who complained of stomach pains after playing Asteroids for 28 hours in an attempt to break a world record. I mean, did he eat? Or was his body like starving? He drank Coca-Cola. That's all I got from the articles. Um, there's also records of several video arcades being raided by the FBI after some owners were suspected of using the machines for gambling, which would then lead to the oh. FBI to monitor the cabinets for signs of tampering and recording high scores. They also have reports of actual cameras being placed in the machines. This was especially popular for machines that had clear cabinets such as Tempest. This game is also also what is believed to have inspired the plot of the film The Last Starfighter, which is one of the films that I need to add to our list. So Editor Lulu, if you would help a girl out there. There's also a theory that some people may instead be remembering a game called Cube Quest, which also had very advanced visuals for its time, which was one of the, I don't, it's not staples, that's not the word that I'm looking for, features maybe of Polybius, and it was frequently visited for maintenance because it was known for breaking down. And then other people think that the entire thing is a hoax created to bring more traffic to the CoinOp website, which I mean, valid. So some history of it is just that Polybius is also the name of a classical Greek historian who was born in Arcadia which for whatever reason makes sense to me. He was actually really, like, he was known for his puzzles. So the fact that they made, like, a game sort of situation for him that was, like, based around strategy checked out in my head. It does. Yeah. You can also now play Polybius for PC and PlayStation 4. And I, there's a few cabinet models of it out there for, like, collectors and stuff, but they're not authentic models or anything like that. There are also visuals from the game, also not authentic, that are featured in the Less Than music video for Nine Inch Nails. Hey, I know that band. Well, they use Polybius in one of their music videos. There's also a documentary about the game called Polybius, the video game that 
that doesn't exist and is hosted by Stuart Brown of Ahoy, which is the guy who basically destroyed our man Roach and was basically just like, he's a filthy liar. There's also a nod to it in a Simpsons episode where vibing in the background of an arcade scene. I have no idea what the context of the episode was, but it's there very clearly there. There's also a seven-part podcast series on it called The Polybius Conspiracy, which was originally on Showcase and explores this and gives you a better idea of what it is, and um, I will 100% be listening to that. Uh, retweet. So that's what I've got for you. Welcome to MK Ultra. So I've heard about a video game that might cause people to fucking lose their goddamn minds and fight and shit. Now I know which one it was. It's this one. I love it. I don't know how I found it. Like, I wasn't looking for it. It just, like, popped up. And I was like, well, I guess I have to do that now. It was meant to be. For the MK Ultra. So yeah, we've really been coming for the FBI lately. I admitted, I accept the fact I'm on their watch list because I was a writer in my youth and I had to Google some questionable things. F you, FBI agent Bell. I feel like I oh, should go on record and say that I actually really appreciate the FBI. Oh yeah, same as these, just not that one. No, I'll throw hands with Bell. That was really good, Sydney. I liked it a lot. Thank you. I watched some videos about it with my roommate earlier because we were talking about it. Because she's not really into true crime, but she likes video games. Okay. So I told her that I would let her know the timestamps for my segment of this one so she could listen to it. But I found some words of wisdom. Your worth is not based on your progress, nor is it based on your arcade score in a government-watched game. (laughs) I like it. That's a good one. Thank you. Follow our socials. Yeah, terror at Instagram. T underscore terror on Twitter. And if you have any requests, or you would simply like to submit an application to become Sydney and Mariah's boo, you can go ahead and email us at tandterrorpc at gmail.com. I like how it sounded like it's both of our, our boo. Yeah, no, we're sharing. Oh, bet. You didn't catch that part? Oh, Say less. And that is episode eight of Tea and Terror. Thank you guys for sticking with us for two months. I love you. I appreciate y'all. I'm Lulu. I'm Sydney. I'm Mariah. And, and we're, we're Tea and, and Terror. Terror. Bye. Bye. Bye.